Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Strut Report, brought to you by Houndstooth Game Calls. If you haven't checked out Houndstooth Game Calls, you're missing out. Go check out the Vixen in, in particular. That's like my favorite turkey call of all time, and it has been for a while now. And Lyle, the owner of Houndstooth, did not tell me to say that. It's just I'm saying it because I love that call, and you should check it out. All right, guys, and back on the line for this week's episode, we have three-time Grand National Calling Competition winner, Scott Ellis, also from uh, Hunt Quest TV. Scott, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on again. Hey, it's a, it's a good time to talk with you. You seem like you've had a lot of success, and I think you can give the listeners a lot of value for this week. Um, but, you know, before we start talking anything else, let's uh, jump straight into this report. You know, kind of give us a lowdown of what were the birds doing when it comes to gobbling this week. Uh, you know, was it kind of struggling for you? Were they pretty hot? Well, um, reports on the piece of property I was on were there were several guys that did hear gobbling, but it was very, very foggy. Where we happened to start off with the fog, we were on the edge of an oak hammock. We were, we were hoping that the gobblers were going to be roosting in this oak hammock and then inevitably fly down in this area of slough and pasture. Slough by meaning if there's low areas of water and there's a little higher ground that's pasture. This used to be a cattle ranch, if you will. And um, about 500 yards from one hammock was another hammock on the other side. So you had this big horseshoe-shaped hammock, basically, with a bunch of pasture and slough in between. So we figured we start right on the edge of the uh, hammock. And 
start out hooting and just see if we could hear a bird gobble. We heard nothing off the roost Saturday morning on the opening day. Um, the, the, thaw, the fog was very, very thick, um, and we opted just to pick a spot that would allow us a little visibility, but there was a little pocket that we set up in because I don't run decoys. So when I do set up, I set up in places that hides the hen. That's always what you're hearing me talk about is hiding the hen. When you don't run deeks, you have to position yourself where that gobbler has to come take a peek to present the shot, as opposed to locking in on a hen decoy from long distances in open areas, okay? So basically, I, I was with my buddy Clay Watkins, and we ended up setting up in that pocket off the hammock a little, or into the hammock just a little bit, gave us a little cover, and we didn't hear anything, we didn't hear anything, not a single gobble off the roost. I said, let's just set up here until the sun gets on up, starts burning that fog off. And I said, very often what I found on foggy days in Florida is that when that fog burns off, it's like a light switch is thrown and those birds will start gobbling. So we set up, fog was there, the sun started coming up, started coming up, started warming up, the, ho the fog lifted. And not long after that, I caught up three hens. Okay, I was doing some kiki runs. Um, I was mixing it up with some Jake Yelps. I was doing some Jake gobbles with the Jake Yelps on my tube call, and those hens came in to be key, and they keyed back to me. Matter of fact, if you go to Turkey Callers of America, which is my group on Facebook, you'll see a little clip I put up of those hens coming in key keying. Great call, to, great call that's overlooked in the fall or in the spring season, I'm sorry, that we think about being just a fall call. Great call to use to call the hens in the spring. So anyways, I called in three hens. The fog lifted. I told my buddy Clay, I said, let's just get up. We've been sitting here for an hour and a half or so. You know, the sun's up. We got hard daylight. The fog's gone. And we no sooner got up and started easing out to the edge of the oak hammock to kind of glass this big pasture slough area that I was explaining. And I hit the tube call and a bird gobble. Well, we struggled with locating him. I don't know if it was the echo of the hammock or I don't know if it may have been a second bird. But ultimately... We ended up coursing the one bird that we thought was kind of behind us. We thought we had another bird in front of us. We coursed the bird behind us, was closing. My buddy Clay and I are conversing on where we're going to set down because it was very open on the edge. When we, when we got out of, that, out of that pocket, it was more open. And I, and if you don't run deeks, you got to be very careful how much you call to a, to a gobbler because if he looks and should see a hen and doesn't see a hen, he's going to hang up 99 times out of 100. So we no sooner picked a tree, sat down. I'm doing an interview. This will all air on Hunt Quest next season, so y'all stay tuned. It'll be a little while before it comes on. But I'm literally doing an interview, and, and Clay goes, well, there he is right there. And that gobbler come around the edge of the hammock we were set up on the edge of and starts closing the distance. So I spin the camera around, and I think I, I turned. I was able to get my hand up and yelp behind me, so I wasn't. he wasn't pinpointing me in that more open area. Uh, we had some broom straw in front of us that gave us a little bit of cover for a little while. As he started closing, that, that cover dissipated. And uh, I think I clucked him for it a couple times, and that was it. And I just let him work right into the gun, gun barrel, and my buddy killed him at 35 steps with the old Apex ammunition. He slammed him. So that's how that friend he, – he did gobble three or four or five times. He gobbled on his own coming in because I quit calling to him. He was looking for me. He was mm -hmm. looking. He was looking. He gobbled on his own two or three times before he finally closed the distance to gun range. So that's how the first hunt went. Well, Clay's son, Taylor, went off on a, on a different piece of the property and ended up calling in a bird and killing it. That bird had no hens, and um, we set up about 12.50 in the 85-degree temps, and what we did was we found some shady area because the birds in this heat, when it gets this warm, if you're down in the south and it gets this warm, turkeys love to loaf in the shade. And we were set up about 100 yards from the from an oak hammock in a little pocket, a little open area, again, hiding the hen, okay? the We were just running different sequences. So we were doing some plain yelps, some excited yelps, some cutting. I did some jake yelping. I did some half gobbles. I even at one point did a, did a, a hen fight where I was doing fighting purrs and a little bit of cutting like a group of hens was fighting and carrying on. And directly about, oh, 130, 145, bird gobbles. And um, three or four sets of yelps later, I had two long beers in front of me, no hens with them, and I made the shot, and I ended up anchoring my bird and killing my bird. 
Well, that's fantastic. Now, you know, so it seems like, you know, the birds were kind of struggling to really get hot the whole weekend. Now, did you think the weather, I know you talked about fog, but was the weather ever an issue in your opinion for what was going on? I think early in the mornings, I mean, the fog, some of it's depending on location. I mean, obviously some of the guys, like I mentioned earlier on the property that we hunted, some of the guys did hear some decent goblin. Couple, another fella killed a bird actually on the same property. This bird worked good. He gobbled good. He came right in the gun range. Um, I think that uh, the fog and the cool temps was great for early morning, but as the temperature rose, I think the gobbling activity was was less, if you will, and I think that those birds were loafing in the shade. They were looking for the cool areas, and they were not out in the fields. You were not find a turkey in a field very rarely in 85 degrees because turkeys are dark in color and when they get out in the middle of those pastures they get hot so they find the shady areas and they loaf in the shade and i think that's a great tactic to use in warmer temperatures anywhere you're hunting i've had success all over the united states when you're hunting warmer temperatures to find the shady more cool spots and those will tend to hold turkeys now also did you see the birds from the birds you did see you know are they still flocked up i mean are you know the quote-unquote bachelor group still kind of flocked it together or are they no, now starting to partner no, with the hens? I, I'm 100% convinced that the birds are broke up. Um, it's hard to me for me to assess whether they've already been bred out because we didn't see enough hens. Like you'll see, you know, when hens are nesting, you'll see single hens a lot of times and, and you'll see them on the edge of roads and they'll be in, in thicker areas where they could potentially have a nest. We did not witness that. So I think there were some of the gobblers that had hens, and I think the birds that we got on were purely subordinate birds. Although they were great gobblers, they did not have a harem of hens. But I do not think they're bachelored up, and I do think they broke up really good. Um, I think at this point we were just capitalizing on subordinate birds that did not have hens with them. Now, also, you know, kind of go over with this, and I think you kind of did, but kind of, you know, retouch on it. You know, what tactics during this weekend hunt what what tactics first of all did not work for you and then kind of go into what did finally work out for you well i called those hands in right off you know a little bit after daylight it was still a little bit foggy but it, it not it, it started to lift a little bit and i was actually kiki running and doing some lost yelping which are longer series of yelps kind of like an assembly yelp that are that are hands are looking for company and i had those three hands come charging in um the bird that we killed about 8.30 on Saturday morning, that bird was out just roaming, looking for hens, and that was nothing more than just yelping and cutting. And then whenever I killed my bird at midday on Saturday, um, that those two birds were just roaming, looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and the tactics that worked there, I'm, like I said, I mix it up a lot. I can't, I can't pinpoint exactly what worked because i did a lot of different sequences like i told you i did some jake yelps and some half gobbles maybe 20 minutes before we struck them i did a little bit of fighting purrs um, with some cutting to simulate some hens that were just fighting in a squabble and then i did some just excited yelping and cutting as well and i want to say the last thing i did before that we when i struck them i just did some yelping and cutting and that's what struck them sunday morning to move fast forward to sunday morning we went out and started out hooting uh I, I was getting birds we heard several different birds gobble sunday morning again it was in the upper 50s so it was not horrible conditions right at daybreak but i did you know i out hooted i crow called we get a bird to gobble then he would never gobble again then we get a bird that same bird we kind of hear another bird gobble in the distance we kind of move towards that bird then we'd hear the bird that we left gobble that one time but nothing gobbled well enough sunday to literally make a play and put a game plan together to kill them. Mm-hmm. So we set up in one spot kind of centralized to several different birds we had heard off and on through right at daybreak. And one bird continued to gobble pretty good. We finally said, we got to move on this turkey. He's the only one saying anything with any consistency. So we got up, we moved to that bird, made a great move on him, made a great setup. Uh, we used a terrain to a, po- to a point where when he showed up, he was going to come around the corner of a, a road bed and he was going to be in gun range when he showed up, and that bird never gobbled again. And at this point, it started getting warm and started getting hot, and we had, and we never heard another bird gobble after about 8 o'clock. We never heard a peep on Sunday morning. So, um, again, I think the weather does play a key role. The cool morning had him gobbling a little bit. Um, 
that may give the impression because of the way they were gobbling sporadically and not consistently that they may have been roosted with hens. And I, I think as a whole, at this point in time, you're going to be doing better off to concentrate on anything that's gobbling with frequency and that you can identify does not have hens. Because I think some of these birds do have harems, and the ones that we capitalized on did not have hens with them. Now, Scott, i got a question for you. Uh, this is kind of just a random question that's hit me. Um, so I'm kind of going off script just a little bit. But in, in, no a, situ- in a situation, uh, kind of like what you had where the birds kind of shut up after a while, I mean, and, it, and it's like hot temperatures. I mean, what is your go-to tactic at that point? If, if they're just not talking, nothing's really happening action-wise, I mean, what are you trying right. to do to be able to get a bird, get on a bird? Well, you just shut up and call. I mean, we, were, we knew – well, we literally heard half a dozen different birds gobble, maybe more than that. And so, and, and they were all different directions, literally 360 degrees around us. But again, they were gobbling. This was Sunday morning. Now, they were gobbling very sporadic. They would not consistently gobble so we can move on them and make a setup. When you're in that position and you know you're in a target-rich environment, um, you just set up and call. And, and, and more than likely, you're going to end up with a bird that it has, does not have hens and you're going to strike a nerve with him, and he could close the distance and come into gun range. That's what I do. Whenever I, whenever they quit gobbling and shut down like that, and you know they're there, set up and just blind call. Because you, you can, if you're a little younger than I am and a little more energetic, you can run and gun and burn the roads down and burn the property down trying to get to that needle in a haystack. But ultimately, it is a needle in a haystack. And I think if, you, if you're in a spot where you heard that many different turkeys gobble and you just set up and call, you're going to eventually strike a nerve with one of those turkeys and can pull him in the gun range. Okay, fantastic. That's that's one thing I was just really wondering about, like how you'd handle that situation. That, yeah, that, that is exactly how I do it. I mean, once upon a time when I was a younger man, I might have walked 400 miles high and low through swamps, through water, and <laughs> trying to find that one gobbler that might gobble. But I found as I've gotten older a little slower <laughs> and a little more patient – that if you just set up and you know they're there, just set up and do different calling sequences. Mix it up. Do some Jake Yelps. Do some cutting and yelping. Uh, do some Kiki running. Um, you can tone it down. Do some quiet stuff as well. Just mix up a, a variety of different calling sequences, and hopefully that will strike a nerve in one of those birds that, that, that heard you and knows that you're there because they, they, they've heard you. They know they hear a hot hand. They know they may have heard some Jake's yelping and half goblin. And then what I love to do when I do those jakes and half gobbles is I answer with a hen yelp. So that makes them think that there's hens with jakes, and that can also pique an interest in a gobble, a mature bird to come into gun range as well. Well, fantastic. Uh, now, you know, what's a tip that you would leave for us, you know, or us and our listeners uh, for, you know, maybe be able to handle a situation like you've been dealing with down in South Florida with some hot temperatures? You know, what's a tip you'd give them? I know last week we talked about patience. You know, what's something you'd uh, leave them for this week? I think – be very versatile in your calling. Um, put, put yourself in the most concentrated area of birds that you may have heard off the roost that morning or the sign that you've seen when scouting. Put, your, put yourself in the middle of where the turkeys are and just set up and call. That, that is my number one tip, honestly. And that's not from being older and lazier. <laughs> that's just from being in a target-rich environment they, turkeys are gregarious. We know that they like they like to talk. They like to be around each other. If you're in a place that you know holds birds and they're just not gobbling, which I, what I experienced at least uh, on Sunday and into midday on Saturday when it really hot got hot, is I just put the sound out there and I emulated a lot of different sequences, a lot of different types of flocks of turkeys. And I think if you do that and capitalize on the fact that they're social animals that that can seal the deal on a bird when they're not exactly super hot to trot and you're fighting hot temperatures and the hot temperatures shut them down. You know, nine out of 10 times, hot temperatures shut turkeys down. So if you can do that, and just always, always keep this one thing in mind. If you're going to set up and blind call and do these different sequences I'm talking about, keep your guard up at all times. Be listening for spitting and drumming. Be listening for footsteps. Be listening for scratching. Because there's very good possibility that bird will even come in quiet and not gobble. And if you're moving around and you're antsy and you're not ha- and you don't have your guard up, you may end up bumping that turkey. So always keep that in mind when you're doing these si- the blind call setups, and the birds are just not answering very well because they very likely could come in quiet. So keep your guard up and be listening for turkey sounds that is not a gobble because that may be what seals the deal. 
Well, great. I mean, that was a great, great report, uh, Scott. So we do appreciate it. Now, where's uh, some place that uh, people can follow along with you, especially with Hunt Quest, and then also, you know, just Facebook and Instagram? Oh, I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, my show, Hunt Quest, we've got a couple more episodes that'll upload on my YouTube channel, Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis. You can just put that in the search engine. You'll find all the episodes. Are, there's a, literally right now about 17 total episodes with season one and season two. Tons of turkey tips. Check out my app, Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis. It's available on the Google Play Store and on the App Store. And my app is a great instructional tool that teaches you how to call with a pot call and a mouth call. It has audio of wild turkeys, which is most important by any means. Um, it has a recorder that allows you to record yourself, and then you can loop that recording that you make of yourself with wild turkeys or with my calling. Um, it also has text tips that talk about what the sound is when turkeys make the sound or why they make it and when the hunter should use it. Um, it's just a great tool. Um, you can check me out on Facebook on my fan page. It's Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis. And uh, also don't don't discount Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2. My DVD is available on, on uh, scottellishunting.com. And my two DVDs, I, uh, I'm very proud of the projects. They're getting a little aged now. But they are tried and true, and I cannot begin to tell you the testaments of people that it has helped kill more turkeys and understand a little bit more about the language of the wild turkey and how to reproduce those calls at will and to master the actual mouth call. That's that's key. Key to me is being able to communicate with the wild turkey, know what the call is, when to give it, and be able to do it on demand. If you do it on demand and you can communicate with the bird, you're going to kill a lot more turkeys. Well, fantastic, Scott. We do appreciate it, brother. Uh, good luck uh, with getting back to work. I know that's always fun, brother. <laughs> but uh, also, we'll uh, make sure everyone stays tuned for uh, – hopefully we'll have you back on a couple more times this, uh, this spring as you travel around to maybe a couple other states. So, once again, brother, we Absolutely. appreciate it. You have a great rest of your evening. All right. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys. And next on the line, we have Scott Murray from South Florida. Scott, how you doing, brother? Doing well. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on and making some time for us this evening. It uh, seems like you've had a great season so far. If you don't mind, uh, before we jump into these questions, uh, you know, tell us a briefly how your season's gone in South Florida with your two birds. Yeah, it went good. I mean, I uh, I, I knew it was going to be a little tough this year because I didn't draw a quota permit. That usually gives you a little bit of an advantage, so I had to hunt public land, uh, no quota, and um, so uh, I've been scouting a little while for a couple weeks, and uh, and then I, did, I I was able to take a w- week and a half off of work, so I got uh, a little early scouting and just before season, and uh, so you know I, the birds were gobbling then, and I uh, kind of had a few areas, different areas and different parts of the south part of the state that I wanted to look for them, and and, uh, and uh, finally. Uh, you know, a day before, I, sort of, I decided on one of the areas was a little bit better and uh, went to that area. And then uh, opening day, I killed a gobbler that I uh, found there the day before. He got into a little fight with um, some jakes that I was able to film a little bit. And, and he was in there defending the hens that were with him. And I had a real good idea about an a easy way to kill him. And it was far enough away from the road where I thought people would be that I thought I'd have a good chance. So... I killed him on the opening day, and then uh, I had a little uh, little gap, a uh, one-day gap, and then the, the third day I also killed a, another gobbler uh, in, a, in a different location, the same area, but a different, you know, mi- a mile or so away from that same spot. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, that's fantastic. I yeah. mean, you talk about starting this season off hot. I mean, that that is awesome, man. Uh, so, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you're tagged out in the southern zone, correct? That's right, yeah, and I, I'm trying to get permission from my wife to go to North Carolina to kill another two, but I don't know if it's going to happen or not. i got to figure, figure it out. But, oh. yeah, I'm done down here. Oh, man, man, you need to take her on a date night, sweeten her up a little bit, let, her, <laughs> let you go up there. you got to work on that. Yeah, yeah, I guess we had a different actual nights for sure. Well, awesome. Well, Scott, let's uh, kind of jump into these questions. It's kind of funny. We got two Scots back-to-back on this episode. But, you know, let's kind of jump straight into this. You know, right off the bat, you know, what was your observation with the birds gobbling? You know, how were they, you know, up until season end during the season while you were hunting? Yeah, well, you know, I I usually do a – I do a – 
you know, like I said, I do some scouting in a, in a couple different areas and I try and feel out where the birds are kind of the hottest and then I try and, you know, let that influence my decision making on where I'm going to kind of focus my energy. And so before season, a couple of places that I scouted um, a, a little bit closer to the lake, they, there was not a... There, there wasn't as much activity, and it was sporadic. So I think that uh, probably like the, the heat and the, uh, you know, the, 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 it's pretty wet down here right now. I think that sort of influenced a little bit of that. And uh, so, but anyways, the place that I ended up settling on, they were gobbling very, very well. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, uh, what the what the reason for that was but it is a little bit of a different climate in that area and uh there was a couple very little bit of cold days that i think might have influenced them to gobble a little bit more so i i didn't have a day starting from last um uh last tuesday until uh this past tuesday when i came home that i didn't hear uh multiple birds gobbling down here so that was you know they were going they were going off Oh, that's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. Now, you mentioned a little bit about weather, but kind of going to, you know, question number two, you know, was weather a factor in your opinion? Uh, not, I'll say not only on birds gobbling, but just on movement in general. I know, you know, you said, you know, it's definitely, you know, quite wet down there in South Florida. I've heard other guys say the same. You know, has that played yeah. any, um, any major factor in the activity those birds are doing right now? Yeah, I think that that, that has definitely has something to do with it, and I think that they're kind of programmed for the little bit of cold snaps that sort of trigger them a little bit more. Um, and so I had a little, like a cold spell being like, you know, the, the, the highs were like 74 or something like that down here, and that was just enough to get them going. The, uh, you know this last week and then I, I think today might have been the last little bit of cold spell that we're going to have for the rest of the season which is like it's abnormally hot so you know in, in places that I've heard birds gobbling a lot around this same time period in years past I didn't hear as much of that um, as I have in you know in previous years but, but you know luckily I found this one place that for whatever reason they were they were hot. They were still just, you know, I think there's enough of them in that area and they were mad at each other. They had pins around and there's enough to instigate them to constantly be gobbling. And that little bit of cold, I think, helped a, a bit too. Um, so, you know, last year, around the same time that I shot these birds, I was wearing a puffy jacket down here and it was probably like 50-something degrees when I shot my second bird last year. So I think that there's a there's a little bit of a difference in the amount of gobbling that I heard from this year to last. Last year being a little bit more because I think that cold kind of triggers them a little bit. But uh, and water-wise, I, I'm not exactly sure how that. You know, I don't know how that affects them. I just I know that uh, you know it affects the conditions that you end up hunting in for sure. And I and for whatever reason, like they, you know they. I don't know if it, the water influenced them in terms of gobbling or not this year, but there was less than last year. All right, fantastic. Now, Scott, you know, another question uh, I, I like to ask guys this time of the year is, you know, are, are the birds, from your observation and possibly what you've heard from other hunters, you know, are they still flocked up right now, especially the gobblers? Are they still kind of flocked up? Or are they starting to separate, kind of doing their thing and really start hitting those hens? Yeah, I think, well, the, the places that I found birds gobbling, there was usually multiple birds gobbling near each other, like within, like, uh, you know, maybe 500 yards of each other, basically, at the most. And so I, I think that they're, they're, they're not, definitely not together anymore. Uh, you know, I saw that group of jakes, and they were, there were six of them, they were all together still, but they don't have any hens or anything like that and I don't think they have the whatever the hormones are going for them to force that force the other ones to break apart but that is as far as like two gobblers together the only time that they were together I think was when they were competing with each other and then they'd break away and go to the hens so basically no and I've, I've noticed that in the previous years where in these areas that that the gobblers break up usually uh, you know, usually like late February, 
they end up breaking up and it's like from one week to the next you'll see three or four of them together and then the next week you'll when you hear them gobble they're like a quarter mile from each other and there's you know three or four of them a quarter mile from each other so they're, they're broken up now tell us you know briefly on you know what tactics didn't work for you right off the bat if anything didn't work and then also talk to us about what finally did work for you when you were able to harvest both your birds, uh, you know, very quick into the season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, pretty much everything, everything worked for me. Like everything that I did worked out, you know, the way that I, I was hoping it would. There's a, the second bird I killed a little bit uh, with a little bit, there's a little bit more, hap- you know, luck to that one than the first one. The first one was very well planned and uh executed and uh the and uh the second the second bird but basically i could tell you a little bit the story is uh the the first bird i found um gobbling uh the first morning that i had taken my camper out to that area and i was scouting and uh i woke up one of the things that i like to do is or i i don't i think everybody does this but maybe people who are a little bit more new turkey hunting don't do this as strictly as some others but it's very important for me to be in the area that i think the birds are in like even on a scouting day like a half hour or 45 minutes before sunlight like i just go into the area that i expect them to be in and i wait and if it's before season i go to whatever roost they're gobbling in i go find it under whatever circumstance like i don't care if the bird sees me or if you know i mess anything up i just go and I find that tree because I know that uh, birds will use that tree pretty often usually like or at least that little bit of area I found you know that you can consistently find birds in those that those trees once you identify those and so uh, you know I I found uh, I found a group I found a couple of birds gobbling and I went to the one that I thought was the furthest away from the road that I had an idea because I'm pretty familiar with the area and I had an idea that he was in a group of trees that I had found birds in before. So I went to that, you know, group of trees and found him, but I wasn't in a position to get to where he ended up flying down and gobbling. I still wanted to see what that was too. And so I kind of crept in to a little open hammock area in a, on the side of a field. And uh, I got busted by his hens that were all in that hammock area. I think that he was in that hammock area too, but he went into the field right next to it. And uh, I, I figured that would be a great place to set up because uh, his hens were in there feeding and they were very comfortable. It was nice and open, and it was also right on the edge of this field where I think he likes to go and gobble uh, as well. And so, um, you know, I scouted. That was the first day. And the second day, I went into the exact same thing and uh, learned, you know, very similar information. So I was pretty set in stone that that bird was going to do what he did that day and of course he didn't you know uh opening day he was not in those trees that i found him those two days and there was no birds gobbling in those trees so but there were two birds that were gobbling pretty close and so i figured i i know for i know that birds are going to end up in that little clearing at that point because they were there both days and uh, it's a great area for them to feed and feel safe. So I just sat and waited it out. And, you know, previous to that day, I'd built a little blind out of palmetto fronds. And then that makes it so that it's like a nice little comfortable area that you can sit in and not feel. It's almost like a regular blind that you buy from the store. And you can fidget a little bit with your hands and do stuff, and you're not going to get busted if they're on the ground. So you can sit in there kind of comfortably. So I just, you know, sat and waited uh, and called, uh, yelped a few times and, you know, uh, didn't hear anything for maybe the first, like, uh, hour. Uh, you know, uh, sunrise was probably 6.45, so by 7.45, uh, there was birds still gobbling a little bit off in the distance, but I did not hear this bird that came in until he started. He was not gobbling. He came in drumming. So he may have been a satellite bird that didn't gobble in the tree or he might have been uh, one of those gobbling birds that was suspicious. Um, and so uh, he just came into a little clearing drumming, but I knew he was coming in because I could hear that sound from, uh, you know, he, he did it 10 or 15 times before he walked into the clearing. And then 
we finally walked into the clearing. That clearing's only about 20 yards across, so so I killed him mm. quick, you know. And uh, so then, uh, you know, uh, that, I guess uh, the, the technique I would say that I use most, it's most important, is just I don't before season scouting. I don't care if a bird is going to see me or not or whatever. It's it's just of utmost importance to me to get to his roost and then figure out where he flies down to. Those things are like super important to me. So so that's something I think that maybe like newer hunters could learn from is that sometimes I think people are a little too hesitant. Like oh. I'll sit here and I'll I'll play with this call and I'll I'll get him to gobble back and forth with me. But you don't learn as much from that, you know. Like you can kind of learn the direction that he's in, but you don't learn exactly where he is. So so that um, maybe that's something that a lot of people do, but uh, but it's just something that I found is helps me. And uh, then uh, you know. You know, Scott, to kind of wrap this up, you know, something that's similar between, you know, with you and me is, you know, we're both, you know, fairly new to turkey hunting. You know, we've both been doing it roughly four or five years, and, you know, still there's a ton to learn. I mean, that's one thing about turkey hunting. It's not, you know, there's no one thing that fits all when it comes to turkey hunting. Uh, it's a lot of being very adaptive. But, you know, in the last three, you know, four to five years of you turkey hunting, especially, you know, in South Florida, what – tip would you leave for the listeners of something you've learned in that time frame that maybe they could take home with them and maybe be able to try out this season and see if it helps them out yeah yeah i mean uh specifically for south florida i'd say uh uh i use a little a little chair like a little seat i don't know if everybody does that but i have one that is a little hammock that it's like a hammock seat that ties to a tree and i generally will um I have with me at all times, like the first place that I sat, the second day that I scouted that I sat, I was sitting in six inches of water. So down here in Florida, sometimes you don't get to pick where you're going to sit down for birth. So having like a, when I actually hunted the season, I had a little stool that I could open up very quickly. And in that case, I was sitting above the water, you know, six inches above the water. So that's helpful. And then uh, I think maybe the uh, the other the other thing would just be that um, scout a lot, like wake up early and do the scouting. Like I have a regiment, like going up into turkey season, I have starting in uh, January, every single weekend, uh, at least one day and usually two, I go to uh, spots that I found turkeys in before and just listen. So having a regiment and that, that extra scouting, I think kind of gives you an edge so that at least you can have multiple spots and make a choice. Because I don't know what would have happened if I'd stuck with my what my two original ideas and places to hunt. The, the the couple days leading up to when I decided to hunt where I did, I didn't hear any birds at all in those places, even though I'd been hearing birds for weeks. So, you know, I had uh, multiple options at that point to make the decision that I did to hunt where I was hunting. So, you know, that's fantastic. And, uh, Scott, I, I mean – you definitely bring a cool atmosphere to the podcast when it comes to someone, you know, still, you know, green at doing this, but you're having success, especially on public land in South Florida. Dude, that's awesome. Um, and, yeah. And we, Thank you. yeah, and we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, and yeah. hopefully, hopefully, maybe you can talk your wife into letting you go up to North Carolina and uh, be able to get you a couple <laughs> more birds, man. Yeah, yeah. I want to get one of those um, Pisgah birds. I, I, I don't think that I'll use a outfitter anymore i think that I, I probably will own on public land from now on and the mount, uh, getting a mountain turkey i think would be a real fun thing to do so hopefully let's see what she says <laughs> well awesome scott well scott we appreciate brother and uh we'll stay in touch yeah thank you so much for calling all right, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor for the Strut Report, which is Hound's Tooth Game Calls. If you have not noticed and did not see our banner at NWTF, we have partnered with Hound's Tooth uh, for the Strut Report, and we're extremely excited about that. Uh, we've been using their calls for going on two years now and been extremely impressed with not only their calls, but really just the whole family of Houndstooth Game Calls. A great group of people. Lyle is a phenomenal person, the owner, and uh, just a great guy to talk with, uh, which hopefully we'll have him on the podcast a little bit later on in the season once we go down there and do a little tour of the facility. But anyways, guys, just want to tell you about one of their products that we really, really, really enjoy, which is their mouth call pouch, guys. If you're a running gun style hunter, 
you need to look at this. Uh, I've lost too many mouth calls while chasing birds, thinking I put it in my vest pocket, thinking I put it in my little plastic um, carrying case, I guess the mouth call gets sold in, and uh, just falling out. Where this mouth call pouch stays on your chest, around your neck, and you'll never lose it. Hold six mouth calls. It's phenomenal, guys. If you're a mobile running gun, just run them down, Turkey Hunter. This is for you. So you need to check it out, guys. But anyways, make sure you guys check them out also on Facebook, Instagram, and their website, which is houndstoothgamecalls.com. Uh, show them some support, guys, since they help us out. We do appreciate it. But, guys, let's jump right back into this report. All right, guys, and our third interviewee on the line is Rick, the Turkey Slayer Taylor. Dude, what is going on, man? <laughs> That's, that's a mouthful, man. I appreciate it, man. I'm doing good. How about you? I'm oh, doing excellent. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't uh, get a little tongue twisted right there. I had to slow it down, but it is all good. That's probably the slowest I've talked all night. But anyways, man, it looked like you had a heck of a time down in Florida. Um, I, you made me jealous. I mean, you and Tony put the smack down some birds, man. And uh, I'd like for us to kind of jump in on that and kind of talk to us a little bit about the hunting experience when it comes to. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, give us a little rundown, you know, kind of hitting, us, hitting it off with the first question. You know, how were there birds gobbling down there? I mean, were they pretty hot or was it pretty, you know, pretty slow for you? It was insane. So as far as uh, comparing it to the birds that I hunt here in Tennessee, I had one place in Tennessee that I would shake my head when the birds started gobbling and it was almost identical to that. Um, we had three different roost sites within probably 300 to 400 yards from us. And there were birds gobbling, uh, opening morning, Saturday morning, they, they gobbled on the roost for a solid 30 minutes before they pitched out. So, uh, the gobbling was, was incredible all weekend. So yeah, it was great. Yeah. And something we didn't touch on, but Rick is giving us another report from, um, Florida. He was just South of yep. Lake Okeechobee. So Yep, just uh, just southwest of Okeechobee a little while. So that that's fantastic. Uh, so birds were pretty hot for you. Um, you know, kind of going to the next question. First off, uh, was weather an issue at all for you guys in a positive or negative way? You know, the the only thing there it was uh, it got up to close to ninety on Saturday, and uh, so it, it warmed up pretty good Saturday morning. So that uh, that thermocell definitely definitely was a was a needed. Uh, ticket for the for the ride there but uh no weather really didn't affect us uh i know some guys had some fog and things like that to to deal with contend with there but uh we were in pretty good shape we we had birds gobbling uh they hit the ground gobbling and and uh we just uh my my bird was the first one we killed that morning uh opening morning and then we just we were on uh we were on a road bed watching a couple strutters with some hens and uh trying to get them to to pull away and i gobbled with a mouth call and the bird that i ended up killing uh gobbled behind us and uh so i gobbled again and he answered me man we we turned around and from the first time he gobbled to the time i pulled the trigger was six to eight minutes Mm. so it was a it's one of those uh mid-morning birds that was hot and lonely and uh and it just just worked out fantastic oh that's awesome now you know from your experience out there and from all the birds you saw you know were the gobblers still kind of uh flocked up or had they already separated pretty much out it was it was a mixture of both so definitely on the roost uh you could tell there were hens you know the hens would every time they gobble the hens were cackling and and back and forth uh both both ways there but uh uh we did see birds pitch down into the end of the field that we were we were set up in for the initial hunt and uh they would not commit to coming into the field because they had everything they needed all the hens flew down with them and they they stayed together and just kind of picked away from us so uh, we were able to get up and, you know, I just told you the hunt that happened. It was a, a little bit later in the morning and, and just had that one bird gobbling by himself. And usually if that happens, man, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's pretty much going to be, uh, if you're in the right situation, you're going to pull the trigger on that bird. So that's what happened to us there. Well, awesome. Well, let's kind of jump into the fourth question, which is, you know, kind of go by, you know, what tactics worked for you guys during the hunt? And also, was there anything that didn't work for you guys? Yeah, so uh, a couple different things. So uh, we did decoy uh, from from you know the initial what you call a, a roost hunt. You know, trying to call a bird off the roost and, and work a man. Uh, we decoyed that first morning, and and I'm not certain that they saw our decoys. I had a Avionex uh, quarter strut Jake over a, a, a one of those flat hens, and then another hen off to the side. I'm not certain that uh, the 
the gobblers that flew down could see that setup, but we had a couple hens walk right through the setup and, and never batted an eye. But uh, so I, I think we probably could have gotten a little closer to the to the roost there, which might have given us an advantage. You know, if if they see uh, what what you know, we're obviously trying to sound like a turkey. So if they see that set up, it might have pulled them uh, a little bit out of the, the cypress that they, they stayed right at the edge of the cypress on the field. So uh, maybe maybe should have moved our set up a little closer to the roost. But uh, the way the sun was going to hit that field, I don't feel like it, it you know, it's kind of a toss-up. Um, the other thing, we we, uh, we tried fanning uh, the couple gobblers that were on one of the road beds there um, that had some hands with them. And, and they just, uh, you know, they they give us kind of a, a, a look see, but they just wouldn't wouldn't pull off the ends. Again, it was a situation where the the gobblers had everything they wanted and needed right there, and there was no reason for them. You know, we weren't close enough. You know, a couple hundred yards, uh, we weren't close enough to really uh, threaten them as a as a you know an, another strutting gobbler to uh, to pull them away from what they had. So uh, the tactic that ended up working was was gobbling and and a bird answering and just. Uh, you know, went to went to hen calling after he gobbled a few times, uh, back and forth with me gobbling at him. So, uh, you know, the one tactic that worked is just find a goblin bird mid morning, and and uh, from there it's it's pretty much downhill to the gun barrel. Oh no, that's fantastic. Now, uh, before we wrap it up, kind of give us uh, also a little report from Tennessee. I know you've been keeping an eye on some birds you got on a uh, on your major property. You know, what's the what's the update on those birds? I mean, are they still kind of flocked up right now? Are they being vocal? Like, what have you seen so far? A little bit of vocal activity. I haven't been out there real early in the mornings, and you know, I'm I'm the guy. I'm not gonna call. I'm not gonna make a turkey call to birds that I'm not hunting yet. So um, I have hit, you know, coyote call and and uh, uh, had them respond with a shot gobble that way. Um, I've got uh, today. I was out there. Matter of fact, I pulled a camera and set three cameras, and uh, just riding through the farm and stuff. I saw one group of thirteen. Uh, long beers together, another group of seven long beers together, a uh, flock of hens all by themselves. Uh, there was probably 25 hens together. So they're definitely kind of in their winter flock, so to speak, there. Um, still kind of what we call uh, uh, bachelor groups. You know, your, your toms are still together. Uh, last Wednesday, so a week ago yesterday, uh, I saw 13 jakes together, 12 or 13 jakes together. So yeah, they're not uh, they're not really starting to starting to show out yet, but uh, I think it's just a matter of time before they do here. You know, we're two weeks away from the uh, the juvenile opener. Uh, as of Saturday, we'll be two weeks away, so I think they'll they'll start to change their game a little bit there. But uh, if not, we'll we'll figure out. You know, I, I usually spend the the week prior to uh, whatever opening day, whether it's juvenile or. or the regular season i'll spend that week trying to get out there on a daily basis seeing where those birds are hitting the ground and and making a plan my little girl's one to definitely get in the woods at juvenile so that's that's the plan there well fantastic man it sounds like a great time and especially if you've got that many birds that's that sounds like a great season red you know just waiting to happen now to kind of wrap us up from uh, this week's strut report you know kind of give us your final thoughts on you know what's a tip you'd leave for the listeners of uh, maybe something you learned uh, down in Florida that maybe they can take home with them and maybe maybe give them a short tip also in Tennessee maybe give them a little tip from there as well well this one kind of really it's it's kind of my go-to and it goes hand in hand no matter where you're at uh knowing the lay of the land and how the birds will respond or or react to to that property whether there's a fence between where you are and where they are that you know if it's a if it's not a barbed wire just a stranded stranded fence it's a cat uh you know the hog wire fence they're, they're not coming through it you know if it's a uh barrier such as a creek a lot of times you're not going to call a bird across a creek, uh, but knowing knowing how the birds um, travel the property on the early season is a lot of times going to help you uh, more so because of the fact that you know a lot of times they're going to be hinned up or or whatever. So you're going to kind of get in the 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 travel corridor, so to speak. You know, it may not be the the uh, ideal turkey hunt set a set a decoy. They gobble on the roost. You call to them. They fly down, walk into your decoy setup, and you shoot them. It, it may not happen that way, you know. But knowing the lay of the land, of the property, uh, that's that to me will kill more birds than uh, than being the best turkey caller or, or anything else out there. That's that's really my go-to on on any 
hunt that I know, you know, as far as turkey hunting, it's you know, know what the birds are going to do, know why they're going to do it. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not deer hunting them. If, if it's not working like that, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to pull out a different tactic, but, uh, knowing the lay of the land, you, you can move around on those birds and, and, and make a play if you have to. No, and I think that's a great way to end this stroke report is with that tactic. I think that's huge. That's, that's bitten me in the butt many times in the past, uh, especially being uh, you know relatively new still to turkey hunting. And that's something definitely everyone should take to note, especially whether you're hunting, you're, you know, you're hunting your local farm, your family farm, or if you're hunting a piece of public land or whatever. You know, make sure you have you know onyx or some kind of some kind of arrow mapping that you can kind of get a lay of the land, but also, you know, scouting's huge. Uh, I mean, knowing, you know, whether a creek's, you know, dry or whether a creek's, you know, rushing water or there's a bunch of down trees, just whatever is, uh, you know, obstacle for those birds, that, that's huge. But, uh, Rick, man, Absolutely. I, yeah, and man, I appreciate you coming on for this week's episode. We'll definitely, like last year, we're going to have you on a bunch this year, man, so uh, just get ready for it. Uh, get, <laughs> so, guys, get, get ready to hear a lot from old Rick Taylor, man. He's a great guy. He's a turkey killer or the turkey slayer Taylor, all right? Uh, I like to watch him die, buddy. I'm, te- sure. I'm telling you, yeah, every time every time we have you on, man, it ain't a strut report. It's a death report. So. <laughs> <laughs> the body count's rising. That's what I'm talking about, brother. Well, hey, we appreciate it, guys. Uh, hopefully you all love this uh, interview review and love this strut report and rick man uh until next time brother good luck hi bro thanks man Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the... The, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.